Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So a summer holiday weekend is good for many of you. It's certainly good for your kids. They probably got out of school. Maybe you're going to the pool. Maybe you're going to the beach. Maybe you're you know, going fishing or going to see the new Top Gun movie. Maybe you have big plans for the upcoming weekend. But here's my guess. Whatever you are doing this weekend, your weekend is not going to be as good as Georgia offensive coordinator Todd Munkins is turning out to be. I'll show you reporting here from Mike Griffith, dognation.com, about a sizable raise coming Munkins way, well-earned, we would say here. But nonetheless, this is a doozy. Let me show you this from dognation.com that Georgia, Mike says, has boosted the salary of offensive coordinator Todd Munkin to $2 million a year. As of April 21st, according to a Dog Nation open records request, Munkin's raise represents just over 80% more than he was making a year ago and 60% increase from his most recent salary bump. The third-year Bulldogs play caller has previously uh, had re- previously received a pay raise from the $1.1 million salary he signed for 2020. Uh, uh, so basically uh, $1.25 million going back then. That is Mike Griffith, dognation.com, on Todd Munkin becoming a $2 million man. Now, we don't quite know how the rest of the salaries for assistant coaches stacks up for the upcoming year, but we can go back a year ago and you had – I'm going to try to do this by memory – you had both the Clemson coordinators, uh, Brent Venables, Tony Elliott. They were both making uh, $2 bucks. They're actually now both head coaches. Another $2 million assistant was Mike Elko at Texas A&M. He's now moved on to be uh, head coach at Duke. Uh, who else was two million dollars a year ago i'm sure i'm sure i'm leaving somebody out you know dan lanning was close there at 1.7 million but the point here is is that by making two million dollars todd munkin is going to put himself in that conversation of highest paid assistant coaches in the game and we would say that's well earned we would say and in fact on monday you know that being a holiday a lot of times on memorial day we don't have a show at all but this year we wanted to pre-record something and have it for you on the holiday monday and we're going to talk even more about the georgia offense on that particular show we recorded it prior to the munkin contract extension news but one of the things we got into on monday show was a specific stat that just sort of demonstrates just how successful georgia's offense has been very easy to understand simple to explain but it really demonstrates the great growth of this program on that side of the ball from 2019 the last year before munkin got here to what georgia was in 2021 after two years on the job i just think the results for todd munkin speak for themselves here and the fact that he's being rewarded financially the way that he is this is kind of the way that sports are supposed to work right when you do well you should get rewards when you do well you should get a pat on the back and and the turn and to the tune of a big you know financial uh compensation and that's exactly what munkin's getting and so i want to talk for a little bit here for a moment about what those around munkin say about him but then I kind of want to lead into this. Okay, well, what's next? How does Munkin make good on the $2 million he's about to make? And I think the answer to that for George is actually pretty simple. I think it, I think it can be stated in pretty clear terms. But as we build to that, let me give you Kirby Smart here. This is going back to the spring on just why it is that Munkin has been so successful as Georgia's offensive coordinator and why Smart, who is a defensive-minded head coach, has gained so much comfort and such an ease of relationship when it comes to how Munkin and Smart work together. And Kirby put it in very clear terms what it is that Todd Munkin brings to Georgia. This is what Kirby said back in spring. A plan. You know, I think a big part of offense is, is like have an identity, believe in who you are, don't try to force your players into that. Um, I'll, I'll be, you know, be strong where you're strong and improve your weaknesses. Well, he knows what he wants to do. He knows how to package plays that uh, that, that, that work well together. Um, you know, be, be who you are. And if your strength is at wide out, if your strength is at O-line, your strength is at tight end, your strength is at running back, your strength is at quarterback, use it. And um, I think he's done a good job of bringing consistency in those areas and accountability to that side of the ball. I mean, I think that speaks to it pretty clearly right there that you're talking about a guy that, you know, uh, has brought Georgia to a huge level of improvement in his first year of 2020 compared to 2019, in his second year in 2021 compared to 2020, you know, big improvement. And when you think about the way in which the Georgia offense got better from 2020 to 2021, I think the important thing to remember is 
and you can look across the board, you can see statistical gains there. It's important to note that there were no cupcakes in the 2020 schedule. Georgia played a full SEC slate of games, and the bowl game was against a top 10 ranked Cincinnati team that had a very good defense. That's what Georgia's schedule was in 2019. There weren't any Murray States or Georgia Techs or teams like that that you could pad your stats against. You were doing it against solely SEC competition. So the fact that Georgia was even better in 2021 than it was in 2020, knowing that it had played a little bit different kind of schedule than programs typically play, once again, I think it sort of speaks to what the Todd Munkin offense is all about there. But then it kind of leads you to, you know, what, you know, does it feel like to play in this offense? What are the what are the guys who are a part of this? How do they describe it? And I thought one of the guys who actually said some interesting things about that is if you want to go back to the NFL scouting combine here for a moment, George Pickens, who unfortunately was injured for a lot of the 2021 season and didn't get to have the kind of statistical impact year this year that he was probably hoping to have, and certainly Georgia fans were hoping uh, for him to have. But our Mike Griffith asked him there, though, about playing for Todd Munkin, what you like about that. And I thought Pickens was very clear in what Todd brings to the table as an offensive coordinator, helping to understand why he is now a $2 million man. This is George Pickens. George, how does Georgia prepare a receiver for the NFL? What are the benefits of playing in Todd Munkin's system? Uh, the biggest benefit is a pro style offense. Yeah, we go into the pros, so like uh, that really helps a lot. Uh, he was formerly with the Browns, Baker Mayfield, Odell that that year right there, uh, and that's the offense we ran. We ran the same exact offense, so the biggest benefit is just being in the pro style offense. So I think that's true. I mean, obviously, you know, George references. Monk and Stein working with the Cleveland Browns, probably the best work he did in the NFL was prior to that when he was with the play caller with the Tampa Bay Bucks. That's probably the most successful, you know, tenure for Munkin while in the NFL. But clearly, he's bringing that mindset, you know, that ability to cultivate playmakers, that ability to leverage the playmakers in your offense. Clearly, that's what he brings to the table. Obviously, we think had Pickens been incredibly healthy. He could have had a, an incredible year for Georgia this past season. It didn't work out that way, but it certainly didn't slow Georgia down along the way to winning a national championship. But did you also go back to what Kirby Smart was saying there a moment ago, that part of Munkin's success in this kind of pro-style offense that Pickens uh, describes is leveraging the strength that you do have. And Georgia, because the Pickens injury, was a little thinner at wide receiver this year. So therefore, Georgia got very creative in how it used its other weapons. Good year for multiple running backs, but also a really breakout year, a record-setting year for Georgia, the tight end spot, in particular with Brock Bowers. And another one of those tight ends in that room, Brett Scyther, was talking about this also going back to the spring, about just how good Munkin has proven to be when it comes to, to utilizing that tight end position, leaning into Georgia's strength, getting the most out of that. And I think there's no better uh, indicator for how things are going than how much fun folks are having around the program. And listen to Brett Scyther describe the level of fun the Georgia players have playing for Todd Munkin. This matters to me. This is Brett Scyther, also on Munkin, going back to the spring. I think it's awesome. Our, our playbook is so much fun to play with, especially passing game, and it's really tight end friendly. I think Hartley's had a good good role in playing with that too. I think he's an awesome coach. I think Munkin's an awesome coach too, and they like to get the ball to the tight end, so we can't complain. If you'll remember, we talked about this a little bit last year too, that when I can make things simple, I like to because I'm not a very you know smart person complicated stuff can be overwhelming for me so in simple terms we said this going into last season does it look like Georgia's having fun are we as fans having fun if 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 it seems like the players are having fun if we are having fun watching the games that's probably a pretty good clue that things are going the right direction there for UGA and you heard Scyther say hey we're having a blast we're having a good time we who wouldn't want to play in an offense like this and it sort of seems like George Pickens was kind of saying the same thing himself there a moment ago which once again is a pretty strong indication of you know kind of what Georgia was in 2021 and all of that sort of leads to this well what's next you know what does Todd Munkin do for an encore now that he's performed this well over the course of two years to get this kind of salary what comes next on that and to me there's kind of a clear number that I have in my mind the number that I've used is I'd love to see Georgia average 42 points per game for this upcoming season I'd love to see that and that'd be a step up from where it was in 2021 when it averaged about 38 a little less than 39 points per game so getting up to 42 would be a little bit of a step up but it's also in keeping with the steps up that Todd Munkin has taken in each of his two years on the job there at Georgia to get to 42 is not out of line with the kind of improvement he's brought year over year 
over the course of the last couple of years. And to me, there's a pretty simple recipe for how you would get there if you're George. And I want to kind of go through this here a little bit about specifically what the Munkin offense can do to get the kind of improvement in year three that I'm describing there. I think the first thing is you've got to take Brock Bowers, who had 882 yards receiving last year, and you've got to make him the second 1,000-yard receiver in program history. And to me, it still is amazing that for a program as storied as Georgia, that it's only had one guy to ever have a 1,000-yard receiving season. Many of you know who that is. It's our buddy Terrence Edwards, who joins us here every Thursday. We love Terrence. But as Terrence himself has said before, it's time for somebody else to join me in this club. Like, you know, the idea that I'm the only guy sitting in this club, it'd be nice to have somebody else join me there. And so Todd Munkin getting Bowers over the hump, getting him to that thousand yard mark, obviously continuing the great run of, you know, catching touchdowns that he had a year ago. But that to me is that first step towards turning this offense that was close to a 40 point offense a year ago, exceeding that number per game here for the 2022 season now what's interesting is you know after the success that Brock Bowers enjoyed in 2021 that there are going to be a lot of defenses that key in on him and they're going to say hey one way or another we're going to prevent Brock Bowers from beating us and obviously if you're George you have to be on guard for that but listen you also know the same thing would have been true in last year's postseason but right at the very beginning of the game, after Michigan had a month to get ready for Georgia, Brock Bauer still caught the game's first touchdown. He's wide open. He's as open as I am now. And that speaks to Munkin's ability to still get the ball to Bowers, even when the other side knows that's where it's going. He also caught a touchdown in the late stage of the national championship game there as well, once again showing you that he can get open and he can still score, even if the other team knows that's where it's going. So, cultivating an offense that allows him to take the next step is a way you get to 42 points for the upcoming season I'd also add this it's now time to also put a player alongside Bowers that gives you pretty close to what Brock gave you last season and the fact of the matter is exceeding 800 yards receiving for Georgia that's a pretty high water mark there have not been a lot of players in the smart era who have gotten to that kind of receiving total the way that uh, Brock Bowers did a year ago so if you want to talk about the next development for Georgia, to have two guys of that caliber with this year's passing attack, obviously Bowers being one, the other, whether it's another tight end like Eric Gilbert, whether it's a wide receiver like an A.D. Mitchell, it could really be, I think, almost anyone. It doesn't have to be a receiver. It doesn't have to be another tight end. It could be whatever, but someone to kind of crack that 750, 800-yard type mark to go along with what's probably a 1,000-yard season for Brock Bowers all of a sudden, you're talking about a passing attack that has been greatly uh, the level raised, and all of a sudden, getting up to that 42 point number for the season, I think um, I think that becomes a lot, a lot easier, a lot more manageable. The other thing is, and we've talked about this before, in addition to that improved passing attack, and there's no doubt that Georgia's an improved passing attack. There's also no doubt that Georgia's throwing it more than they used to. Georgia threw it what for a season about a hundred times more in 2021 than it did in its uh, previous college football playoff season of 2017. So Georgia's clearly throwing it more, clearly throwing it better than it used to. But can you take that passing attack that has improved and is we believe continuing to improve? And can you also add uh, that traditional Georgia running attack to that? Georgia's been you know kind of middle of the pack in terms of some of the uh, rushing statistics around the rest of the SEC the last couple of years. Can you get back to something that feels a little bit more like what this team was in 2017, 2018, when it was leading the SEC in rushing? Now, Georgia you know, ran the ball more then than it does now, but still, can you have that level of effectiveness from your offensive line, from your rushing attack to go along with the improved passing game? That also becomes that recipe for how you get to that 42-point-per-game number. One more thing I'll give you, and then we'll talk about something different. The other thing here is when you're talking about an average, an average of points per game, the easiest way to make sure that average stays really high is to avoid what you had happen last year where I mean how much better would Georgia's points per game average have been in uh 2021 <laughs> I'm not asking this rhetorically I'm literally asking this uh uh, uh specifically because uh some of y'all are better at math than I am but how much better would Georgia's per game average have been last year had it not had the basically the day off offensively against Clemson to open the season and also a little bit of a dip for the SEC championship game there as well. But Georgia only scored 10 points 
against uh, against Clemson. Only three of those were offensive points. That's kind of the the sort of outlier day off offensively that you can't really have if you want to show up and put pressure on your opponent offensively each and every game. Georgia had that moment there in the 2021 season. But if you can avoid the the offer, if you can avoid the really bad game offensively like Georgia had versus Clemson, admittedly a very good defense. But if you can avoid that, that's also another way to take what was a 38, 39 point per game offense a year ago and kind of get it above that 40 point caliber here for the uh, upcoming season. So the bottom line on all this is this, is that when you look at the success that Georgia's enjoyed offensively, independent of the great defense, but the success that Georgia has enjoyed offensively, it's no difficult thing to understand why Todd Munkin has gotten the big raise that he's received. And it's also easy to kind of imagine, okay, what could come next? And I think there is room for more improvement. I think you could get to 42 points per game for the upcoming season. If you get more out of Brock Bowers, if you find a pass-catching target to accompany and go alongside Brock Bowers, if you create a Georgia rushing attack that kind of reminds you of some of the best from the early days of the smart era, and if you avoid that one really bad game in the regular season like Georgia had last year against Clemson, all of that sets the stage for great success. Could be a fun year for the dogs. Todd Munkin right there at the center of all that. A very well-paid man for a lot of very good reasons. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We are presented today by Kroger, and we're glad to have you with us, whether you join us at 945 for our first and 15 on the dognation.com homepage or the Dog Nation app. Or if you watch us on video after that, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, we're on the radio at noon, every day on app and Sports Radio 963F, and as a podcast, the Apple Player, Spotify, the Google Player for the Android devices, worldfamousdognation.com. Really happy to have you with us. A little bit of business to take care of, and then I'll tell you about my friends at Kroger. So I mentioned this, that we are going to be back on Monday, pre-recorded show. We recorded that yesterday, so we'll have John Stinchcomb on hand for that. And we'll talk about the athletic board meetings, which were ongoing at the time when we recorded this with John. We also talked a little bit about Monk and the Georgia offense off the top on that show. This was prior to learning that the Monk and you know, raise and extension had been finalized, but I think it's still relevant for what's going on right now. So we'll do that with you coming up on Monday. No first and 15 Monday, just 10 a.m. on video across all platforms. Uh, and the uh, podcast kind of as you've come to expect it after that so that's all coming up on monday by the way big thanks to our friends at kroger for making all this possible and kroger knows what you're looking forward to doing this weekend getting together with friends getting together with family getting together with neighbors uh those cookouts for memorial day always a big part of the american tradition around here and with all that warm weather stuff going on right now, Kroger's got you stocked up on all that. Your grilling favorites, your snacks, how about your favorite beer, your wine, all that for you at your local Kroger. Stop by and see them Kroger in-store or there online at Kroger.com. They'll get you taken care of on all of that. All right, I'm going to do a very short version of Around the Doghouse here for a moment. We're going to get Jeff Sintel after that. So a couple of things I think are interesting about the UGA board meeting that's been going on there around Lake Oconee the last couple of days. Obviously, the Todd Munkin extension comes out during this. The chatter is ongoing about Kirby Smart's contract. We'll talk to John Stinchcomb about this on Monday. But Jerry Moorhead, basically, that's the university president, basically saying yeah, it's on its way. It's going to be commensurate with a national championship winning coach. We expect it to be very, very lucrative. You know, somewhere in the neighborhood of $10 million a year, something along those lines. Um, there are big changes coming to Sanford Stadium. This is sad for those of us who are coastal elites in the press box. Uh, the like, I I truly believe that the seat that I sit in in the press box at Sanford Stadium is the best seat in the entire stadium, and they have decided that uh, those seats can be better used to serve donors and things like that. So the press box is going to be moved. Uh, it's a sad day for those of us who love that perfect view and vantage point you get in the Sanford Stadium press box. But I guess all the good things come to an end eventually. So that's going to be moving. Uh, also, and this is going to be important for fans, they're widening the corridor on the south side of the stadium. And for those of you who you know are on that side and try to go to the concession stands, things like that, these very old stadiums, very, very, very narrow concourses to kind of walk through. And so widening that, something they've done, I think, very well in other parts of the stadium, they're now doing that there on the south side. It's going to make just getting you know to the bathroom, getting to the concession stand, getting to these different places uh, a little bit easier. There were, though, a couple of other things that I do kind of find kind of interesting. I just spend very, very quick uh, amount of time here, and we'll uh, move on to Jeff after that. So 
for now, Georgia is not moving forward with any kind of like alcoholic beverage sales in Sanford Stadium, even though it is selling, you know, alcohol in other venues like as the baseball game of the day at Foley Field, they're selling beer now. But they are not doing that yet at the football stadium. And this is one of those things that's kind of a, certainly an interesting change. It's a little bit of a hot topic, but I don't get the impression, and maybe I'm wrong about this. Like I don't really hear like a huge clamoring for them to do this because a lot of people are already kind of enjoying their tailgates outside the stadium nor do i hear like a huge outcry against it. it's one of those things that i think most people probably understand eventually is going to happen this is one of those deals where it's a it's a big change it's a little bit of a hot topic but i don't get the sense there's a great deal of passion about this on one side or the other i don't know that people are necessarily you know clamoring to pay stadium prices for beer although i guess for some people they'll be kind of glad to have it but it's not like there's any shortage of you know beer being consumed you know on campus on game day as it is and i also don't hear like a huge outcry of i can't believe they're going to do this and ruin the experience i don't really get much of that i mean people have a preference i guess one way or another but at least for me thus far i haven't heard a great deal of passion about this on one side or the other the other thing that came up and then we'll get jeff right after this the other thing that kind of came up here is is that, you know, I guess to help pay for, you know, new stadium stuff and raises for coaches and everything else, they're also, I think, committing $50 million to women's sports right now. They're going to push a new $300 million capital campaign. And I think we're in a very interesting time for college athletics if you are a donor. And when I say donor, like people have a tendency to sort of think of the Monopoly man, like, you know, some guy in a tuxedo with a monocle, you know, like, like, the average donor to Georgia is not a billionaire, even a millionaire. It's just a you know person who may have done well in his career or her career and just wants to give a little money back to the football team they enjoy cheering for. Um, but it's not necessarily, you know, like, I mean, they, they may be richer than me, but it's not like, you know, if they're, you know, water skiing, buying a bunch of yachts or something like that. These are, you know, regular folks. And, man, they are really being asked to do a lot right now. Um you know, they're being asked to obviously contribute to things like this. And I think most Georgia boosters have gladly done that, you know, the improvements to the West End Zone project and some of the other things you've seen around Sanford Stadium there as of late. But now they're also going to be asked to, hey, we need you to contribute to our NIL collective too. And if we want to stay competitive in football, we got to have you given to this NIL collective. But oh yeah, by the way, we still need to put, you know, new bathrooms and the blah, blah, blah. So we want you to commit to that there too. Man, for and this is not just a Georgia thing. This is across college sports there as well. Like, how many different things are these donors going to be asked to do here in the future and how much can be asked of them when it comes to traditional fundraising nil how much of that can be asked of them before a little bit of donor fatigue starts to set in and what happens when that donor fatigue does set in i I don't know i I don't know there's an easy answer to this and it's not necessarily a problem but it's just kind of an interesting era in which we are kind of moving forward in so uh, at least something to kind of keep in mind and ongoing and my by the way mike griffith has been on hand for this we've got reporting for you there at dognation.com about the athletic board meeting that is taking place and on our show monday the pre-recorded edition on memorial day we'll talk to john stinchcomb who is a member of the athletic board he's one of the guys that's voting and in that room right now so we'll get some kind of behind the scenes insight from john coming up on monday on all of that but for now it's behind the scenes recruiting information that you want here on our program so with that in mind, let's get ready to go on the road with Jeff Sintel, assisted by AAA. Of course, AAA, great to take with you. As you're heading out on road trips here this summer, many of you are doing that this on this long holiday weekend. So enjoy that. Take AAA with you as you do. But let's also let you take some Georgia recruiting information with you there as well. The latest on a whole number of uh, topics, including a five-star prospect who was just at Georgia who uh, Jeff caught up with at least his family over the course of the uh, last couple of days. We'll find out a lot more about all of that on the road, assisted by AAA with Jeff Sintel here right now. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. I mentioned a moment ago the five-star Edge, Jaden Wayne, who was in town at Georgia last weekend. I want to talk to Jeff more about that because he had a really good piece with Wayne's father, which I actually referenced on yesterday's show. So we'll get to that here coming up in a moment. But Jeff, if you don't mind, let me get to a topic first before we get there. I'm pretty intrigued by the situation involving Georgia running back recruitment at the moment. I mean, I think it's fairly obvious that maybe Justice Haynes, the newly minted Buford running back, is Georgia's top priority there at the running back spot. And you can certainly understand why that'd be the case. Legacy player, good player in his own right. 
And you've also had what has been reported to be a cancellation of Reuben Owens' uh, upcoming visit to Georgia. But Richard Young, another very good running back, has announced his plans to visit UGA at the same time so many other elite prospects are going to be on hand right there that first weekend in June. Can we talk through this 2023 running back situation here for a moment? You know, how many is Georgia looking to take? And in addition to to uh, Justice Haynes, who is the other like big target on the running back board for right now? Yeah, good morning. Happy Friday, everybody. Happy Memorial Day weekend. Brandon, it's, it's really one of those things that, you know, you know, you know what I'm here for. I got my safari hat on. We're going to go deep in the weeds here a little bit. There's a lot of names that are floating about. Georgia just hosted Jeremiah Love. I think that's a, a James Cook plus type running back out of uh, the St. Louis area, the, that area. He, he was in, in town for the scavenger hunt. Um, I, I think, you know, I think what Georgia showed me a little bit last year was uh, you know, remember, Brandon, they had a perfectly competent uh, All-American running back in George James. But I, I'm, I'm calling it kind of sort of like the, the Janet Jackson recruitment of running backs with Del McGee right now. What, my, what I mean by that is, like, let's wait a while and let's see how these guys look going into their senior years. There's a bunch of names. There's Love. There's a couple of in-state targets. Um, some new intel uh, I put on the forum the other day about Ruben Owens II. Ruben Owens, uh, I guess he was, had fun sharing his comment with me. He said, dude, he said, don't believe everything you read. He said, Georgia is still the top school. And he said that Georgia, he plans to visit Georgia during the fall. Whether that's uh, official or unofficial, it looks like he's saving one of those, at least one of those. Um, You know, Ruben Owens, I wouldn't say that ship is in the harbor yet or outside the harbor, but I think there's still some warmth there. But what I meant with that kind of let's wait a while thing is, you know, Georgia and running backs, I think right now, is kind of where Ohio State is with quarterbacks, where, they can decide, they can survey the landscape, and then they can figure out senior year, how these guys look in camp, what the field looks like, and then they can figure out what they want. Because look, Brandon, they've got a perfectly great running back in Andrew Paul last fall by doing just that mantra. And, you know, for Georgia, the, the scholarship number we've always known for the program that's been identified is five. They like to have five scholarship back. Georgia could probably lose a Kenny McIntosh and James Cook. I mean, excuse me, a, a Kenny McIntosh and a, at least a Kendall Milton to the draft uh, this year. Dejon Edwards would also be draft eligible as well. So the number there looks like two. It feels like two. But there's all, all sorts of names. You, you mentioned Richard Young. Richard Young's going to take all five of his officials. He feels like he's leaning anywhere. He's leaning to Bama with that. But yeah. yet now Bama's joining the fray with Cedric Baxter, which is a guy that uh, those human beings in Gainesville, Florida, thought that they felt that they were really strongly attached to. Uh, Baxter may be given the tie to look. Baxter's going to give the tie to an official visit now, uh, which is going to make that harder for Florida to secure that recruitment. So I think there's just a lot of things going around, and Georgia has benefited, and that Georgia has, has the reputation, much like Ohio State with quarterbacks, where they can sit and wait and pick out their best one, and when it's time for go time to really start recruiting a kid, I think they can really get in there. You mentioned Andrew Paul. I want to ask you more about him in a moment. But, you know, along the lines of this kind of big picture topic here for a second, you know, with Young coming in and all the, the hype building around the first weekend in June and some of the stuff that's going to happen after that, you know, how do you think the fact that June has become such an important month for recruiting, like how does that make your job different or the job of the coaches different with, with everything so, like, heavily focused on this early part of the summer? Maybe it's a time a few years ago you'd have thought of this as, like, vacation time. But in the case of a lot of the, the recruiting stuff, this is like when the hardest work for the cycle is kind of being done. Obviously, July is a dead period. Season begins after that. Like, what do you make of the emergence of June as such a pivotal month for recruiting here? Yeah, I think, Brandon, it, it's, a lot of it is, well, there's two things. Number one, it's timing and it's calendars. You know, the dead period in July offers coaches the chance to breathe a little bit. Now, there is that one weekend for about three days in the end of July where there'll still be visitors and everything else. But they want to put the hay in the barn a lot in June. And for and for Kirby Smart, man, here's what's happening. It worked so well for him last year. Oscar Dell, Gunnar Stockton, Branson Robinson, Denylon Morissette. They had such a good offensive class uh, that they put together from that first big bang weekend um, of June. And they just felt like they would do the same. And Brandon, it's a little bit of swagger, man. It's a little bit of braggadocious. I mean, you ever get in that golf foursome when you got one guy that really 
loves his driver and, you know, doesn't mind going first off the tee every time. And oh, yeah. maybe the other clubs in his bag aren't as great. But, you know, Kirby's kind of like that right now. He doesn't mind taking that first official visit because he wants to set the bar high. Here's some examples. They didn't mind taking the first official visit with Jaden Wayne because they wanted to set the bar high. They didn't mind, and they're not going to mind taking the first official visit weekend in June when they're going to get the chance to really get in the door with a huge splash with the Mannings of the world, the Caleb Downs of the world, the Justice Haynes of the world, the Jalen Hales of the world. I mean, that is going to be the weekend um, of really a lot of fireworks in Athens in June when recruiting season will start. And for Georgia, the other thing you got to remember, it's another schedule thing. Georgia really has reached the point where they don't want to be juggling massive official visits in September, October, November anymore. They're in the championship business, so they can never give the recruit a really good weekend, a really good time, or the really good FaceTime or love that they really need. Now, of course, they will do it if they have to with a, a priority prospect, but they'd rather not do that. And Georgia, like a lot of other schools, are wanting to get all their big fish in the campus in June. You know, that's when they can set everybody up and, you know, put a great weekend together and they all those recruiting budget expense weekends can all be – neatly filed when there's going to be about 10 or 12 impressive families there and impressive prospects there. And I think it all feels real neat and tidy. And when you have the national championship program, sometimes you don't mind going first. Also, you know, to go back to the running back thing for a moment, which kind of started this whole discussion, you know, there are a lot of people who view running back to be a huge priority for Jordan, the class of 2023, because of the very real possibility that Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton could move on after the season, go on to the NFL and you understand where that comes from but also the the need to really impact 2023 with running back is somewhat mitigated if Branson Robinson has the look of the star and the other running back they signed from last year Andrew Paul now here's the thing I don't mind telling you this for every one thing I've said about Paul I've said 10 things about Branson Robinson Robinson's just a lot more well known to my audience and a lot more well known to me there as well but it was an interesting battle that Georgia won with I guess Clemson to, to get Paul here I mean, how good do you think he can be? Both these guys are about to uh, arrive here on campus uh, in the very uh, next couple of days here. How good do you think Paul can be for Georgia? And is there a chance that the emergence of these incoming true freshmen here kind of takes some of the so-called pressure off of bringing in running backs to the class of 2023? Yeah, those are good thoughts, Brandon. Uh, I think, you know, one thing you, you stoked in the minds of readers and listeners and everything I'm glad that you did is, Georgia's going to get about another six or seven really good players on campus in the next, like, four or five days. I know Christian Miller's among that group. Marvin Jones Jr. is among that group. Cole Spear, Andrew Paul, all those guys. And, you know, Brandon, I feel comfortable saying this, that, you know, when Dejon Edwards came in as kind of the other running back in the class when he came in um, with Kendall Milton, and he is pleasantly surprised at every step of the turn, I feel comfortable saying that Andrew Paul is going to do that in a little bit more. Um he did a, an impressive, impressive high school career. I was especially struck by the fact that uh, I remember him, his coach telling me that he had a car accident where he totaled his car, I believe, on a Tuesday or Wednesday. And then he uh, came to practice. And then he, the, next week, the next Friday night, he ran for 400 yards or something like that in a playoff game. And uh, he's a young man that toted the ball a lot. He won't have to tote the ball quite a lot at Georgia, but – the thing that gets me thinking about running backs when we're really cooking up the stew here, Brandon, is I think Georgia needs to find a different type of back than maybe Andrew Paul and Branson Robin because I think they're more of that thunder type guy, whereas I think I think Justice can be whatever you want him to be. He's kind of like a transformer right there. He can do whatever. He's that skilled passing game, catching the ball out of the backfield, blocking, running between the tackles, or whatever you want to ask of him. I think that next back needs to have some of those X factors like James Cook brought to the table, especially the senior year, James Cook. I hope nobody ever forgets what James Cook did in pass pro on that long touchdown to yeah. A.D. Mitchell and, and how he really creased Alabama on that. I think he had a 70-something yard run that kick-started another drive. Really explosive plays. I remember probably his best game at Georgia was when he basically took over the Tennessee game in Knoxville last year at the Inland Stadium. And I think that's what they're looking for. They'd like to have, you know, Reuben Owens is kind of that guy, uh, that, that type of guy that's about 200 pounds at least, but is going to be a guy that you can get Todd Monk and really cooking up some magic right there as well from the running back position. I think that's going to be really important if Georgia does take that second, second back, uh, that, that they definitely will need to find a guy that brings those skills to the table. Right, I want to ask you about Jane Wayne here. I want to get to the story that you wrote with Wayne's dad. 
in a moment. But first, though, just kind of a simple statement. Internet sort of seems to think that eventually Jane Wayne's not coming to UGA. Like, how realistic do you think that it is that Georgia could pull a guy like this from the West Coast and bring him uh, down here to Georgia and have him be you know, comfortable calling this home. You've obviously referenced some of the guys from that same part of the world that Georgia's gone out and gotten in the past, but how realistic is it that Georgia could do this with the edge rusher Wang? I think it's realistic, Brandon, especially now. I think Georgia continues to hit. One thing his father really reiterated to me is that you expect things to be different. You know, they expected it to be different when Dan Lanning left, and it wasn't. It was just as good, and maybe even better with Coach uh, Chidera Uzo Daribe. They expected the feelings to be different, and it wasn't. It was actually heightened. Um, but he just the, the Wayne family, man. They got that connection there with Keely Ringo, where that's a great roadmap. Where Keely has told them, "Hey, man, you're gonna have to work the tail off. It's gonna be really, really hard, but they're gonna treat you like family, and they're gonna get you where you want to go, provided you do all those things." And that's really what any recruit wants. The other thing the Waynes have been doing, Brendan, they've been doing their homework. They've been following the Milton story, even Darnell Washington, Brock Bowers. They see how a lot of guys from out of state, even in the even in the even in that time zone, the Pacific time zone, out on the West Coast, they come to Georgia and they really plug and play and they really thrive well at Georgia. You know, that's kind of the things they're looking for. And I'll be honest, Brandon, uh, I think Georgia was in a, a kind of a key spot with Jaden Wayne uh, back after G Day because basically he told me that's one of the things that really stands out from years of doing this is for him. He was there for G Day, Brandon. And he was there, and he noticed all the rings, and he noticed all the guys uh, getting their love. And, you know, he, he kind of understood why all those 2021 guys were there. They were there for their rings. But then he saw guys like J.R. Reed and Brian Harrion, um, Jonathan Ledbetter, all these guys, Monty Rice. They weren't, they weren't getting a ring that day, but they were there to support the football team, the guys they played with, the coaching staff on that big day. And it really struck a chord with a man that he feels, quite simply, Georgia's a brotherhood, and there's really something special about Athens. So I thought the piece with his father uh, that you wrote, uh, some very interesting quotes there at dognation.com. We referenced some of this yesterday. And, you know, Jeff, I guess here's what I'm less, you know, left with. I think we're in a day and age now that for whatever reason, a lot of people don't feel comfortable being candid about the role that NIL plays and some of the recruiting stuff. People seem to feel like they need to keep that a secret for whatever reason. In, in Wayne's piece, uh, he talked so much, Mr. Wayne's piece, talked so much about, you know, the family feel and the, you know, desire to – choose a good major and academics and things like that like i hate to ask such a blunt question but like how real is that like like you know on the one hand we have people saying oh nil is the only thing that matters that's what lane kiffin has said on the other hand we've got uh jane wayne's father talking about recruiting and still kind of a traditional you know if through a kind of traditional avenue here like how real is that given the sort of hysterical nature of the conversation that seems to be taking place other places yeah brandon i'm glad your thought bubbles uh, are kind of going in that area because, you know, one of the things I always try to do is work on like four or five pieces at one time. And one of those I'm working on right now is like, basically, bruh, NIL, what are you really thinking here? And, you know, some of the, some of the, the early findings that are coming together for that story is the really leaned in families, the really families that really appreciate this and know what it is all about. They're not going to look at $600,000 or $700,000 or $300,000 and they're not going to chase that quote unquote bag uh, right now because the one they have their eyes on is about three or four years down the road. And that $20 million, that $15 million bag that Georgia just did, Georgia's the Georgia way, the Georgia experience, that contract's probably a better way to say that than the word bag. But that is what they're looking at. They're looking for the place that gets them to that $20 million contract, the quickest, the most efficiency with the most efficiency and the most likely that's what they're looking at there with the, a lot of the families, a lot of five stars, a lot of kids that really get it, their families that have really researched the matter and listened to others. They're really focusing on that and not, you know, who's going to, who's going to take care of me in the year 2022 and 2023, if that makes any sense. So I get, I get the sense of the question, even with the Wayne, because it's a great question, but the thing that he, that kept coming back to, and that was one of the, I think I left it as like the telling signature of the story that we wrote when we we chronicled Jaden Wayne's official visit to Georgia was that, you know, it's like a simple question, Brandon. It's like, what are you going to tell folks about Georgia? Is it this? Is it that? Is it Kirby's office? Is it that speech? Is it 
Chidera Uzo-Daribe. Is it the Brotherhood? Is it putting on that junior Georgia jersey, that clean white one with the red LED lights in Sanford? And his father just said, man, oh, that's great. Oh, that's great. And he's like, he was like, a lot of these schools have close to that or their own variant of that. He's like, the thing about Georgia is the people, the fans. The fans really care about Georgia. He said his son did an impromptu autograph signing at Georgia already that kind of just came out of nowhere. He saw how people care about Georgia. He's been there for the Charleston Southern game at noon in November. He's been there for G-Day. Every time, every time, it's not the stuff, Brandon. It's the Georgia people. And you can't put an NIL price tag on that. But that, to the Wing family, at least to the father, uh, that's what really impresses him the most about Georgia, Brandon. That's something no one else can really replicate. A couple of other things here really quickly before you, we let you go. We talked a moment ago about the challenge of pulling Wayne, you know, 3,000 miles to Athens. What actually might be harder than that is going into what has been an Alabama stronghold and pulling out a great player from there. Uh, obviously, Quay Russo, he wrote about DogNation.com, Carver High School in Montgomery. That's been, a, that's been an Alabama pipeline. Think about Sean Dion Hamilton, some of the other players have come out of that program. Um, and yet it seems like Georgia's very much involved in the Rousseau recruitment right now. You had a chance to visit with him. Good story coming out on that. What'd you make of Rousseau? And uh, something that I think years ago would have been unimaginable, Georgia just marching into Alabama and getting some of the best players in that state, but it seems a lot easier to believe now, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And, you know, Brandon, I, I guess I got my metaphors in my mind right now, but I'm either thinking about Miramar and Fightertown right now or maybe – in the state of Alabama, in the city of Montgomery, the Montgomery proper era, area, that's where Kirby Smart's pull and powers are the strongest. That's where he's at his best because he, he, he grew up there. He was born there. His dad used to be a coach there at Elmore High School just outside Montgomery. And he keeps coming back. He kept coming back when he was uh, an assistant at, at, at Alabama. He was the guy that, I mean, there, it would be a great Kirby book to write about the early years of Kirby as a recruiter because I'm putting all these stories in my back pocket and they're like, you know, there was this one time when all the coaches were there and um, they were there at a thing and then they had to leave and it was a wedding weekend and somehow Kirby got invited back to the wedding and he was the one that was at the wedding and hanging out with his family and he ended up getting the big recruit. I mean, there are stories like that everywhere around Kirby with Montgomery. So a lot of the locals, they say, you know, man, pulling a kid out of Alabama, pulling a five-star out of Alabama that Alabama and Auburn both want. If anybody's going to do it, it's going to be Kirby Smart. Um, he's the type of guy that knows everybody in that state, but most especially that kind of area right there around the capital city of Alabama. And with Quay Russo and James Smith, man, they're just different dudes. I loved how their trainer put it to me because the whole the whole internet, like he's referenced the internet, the whole internet is like, man, the internet says this, the internet says that. Well, what the internet says about James Smith and Quay Russo, those that are really close to the reporting, is they knew that those guys are going to go play to college, play college ball together. That's like a 99% certain. And they all, and everybody started quickly, maybe two or three months ago on those sites. I think they know what they're talking about. They sit there and they go, well, hey, listen to this. They're, they're a package deal. Here's the pushback on this, Brandon. It's not a package deal. A package deal is when someone comes along and they're like, one player is like the, the five star, the number 25 player in the country. And the other player is like a high three-star, and they're the number four in their play in the country. And the other guy can play, but you really want that other guy. So you try to package them both together where one player is greater, the other is lesser than, and that is your package deal. Brandon, for, for Quay and Jane, all these schools that are recruiting them, they might be at the top of the board or right near the top of the board. I'm going to tell you, buddy, this Russo kid is different. Hmm. Um, he's a guy that – I mean, I love the story that I was able to get, and that's one of the – I'll be frank. I'll be honest a little behind the scenes here. That was the earliest interview challenge I've ever done in my life. <laughs> been, been a reporter for over 20 years. And those boys do not answer the phone. They don't do social media. They don't like that recruiting. They don't even talk to the coaches that way. So if you want to talk to them, you got to get there when they work out, Brandon. And that is like 5 a.m. Central time in Montgomery, Alabama. And you sit there and you watch those guys work out, and they are ready to go, Brandon. And that is their extra work. They actually work out during the day for their high school team. They get up at 4.30 in the morning to get their extra workout mm. in. Brandon, they won't even be getting up that early in when they, whenever SEC program or a big-time program they're at. They won't yeah. even be getting up that early for Scott Sinclair or wherever they want to go, Alabama, whatever. And that type of mindset, they just want to get better. Brandon, this guy didn't work out for a week because he was on training and he was traveling 
and then he goes and, and he goes and has a heavy squat day where you're squatting 400 pounds like 10 times heavy. It was a smash the legs day. Oh, and by the way, he had a track meet that day. He was running in the 100 meters. And he ran in 11-4 with no legs. Huh. Destroyed legs. He ran in 11-4. Brandon, this is a linebacker who weighs 235 pounds. He bench presses 400 right now. He can do 315 on power clean. And he's like, dude, I have horrible form. I just muscle it up. That's a guy that you want to think about. And I love the story here. This is a prove-it kid. Russo was like 6'2", 236, and Georgia has seen the model for the most athletic linebacker ever. That's Nolan Smith. And sometimes yeah. you'll notice in Nolan's career, is he long enough? Does he have enough length? The guys with the lengths, the six foot seven guys, are they keeping Nolan away from the pass or are they keeping Nolan off of him? And they're like, hey, we don't know how we're going to do with that edge guy that's 6'2", 236. So Russo and his camp, they're like, all right, Peter, let, let us know when you're camping. Let us know when you have all the guys that you think are your prized offensive tackles. These guys were 2022 recruits, 2023 recruits. And Russo showed up, and he said, okay, I'm going to rush the passer. Brandon, he won every rep. And all of a sudden, Georgia was like, okay, we're going to, we're going to look at you as an edge rusher too. We think you can do it all. We think you can rush the passer. This is a young man that doesn't mind the test, that doesn't mind the work, that doesn't mind the challenge, and he's going to rise above it. That's really interesting stuff. I want to get one more topic with you before we say goodbye to you. Let me also remind folks, though, this is On the Road with Jeff Sintel, presented by our friends at AAA. They take care of us when it comes to roadside assistance, but they also got you when it comes to your home insurance there as well. In fact, they have got a great new option for you. It's called Disappearing Deductible. Doesn't that sound good? Wouldn't you like to make your deductible go away? Well, the AAA, you can. Let me explain how it works. Your deductible is going to be reduced by $50 every policy year you go claim-free up to $500. How great is that? It's just one of the many options offered when you get your home insurance through AAA. So please check them out online at AAA.com slash home insurance. That's AAA.com slash home insurance. Or give them a call 833-718-2075. 833-718-2075. Now this also gives me that chance one more time to try my legal disclaimer voice. Sometimes I do better with this than others, but let me See if I can uh, make this go smoothly here. Coverage is subject to all policy terms, conditions, exclusions, and limitations. Discounts and savings opportunities subject to eligibility requirements, subject to underwriting requirements as well. Insurance underwritten by member select insurance company and non-affiliated insurance companies. Copyright 2022, the Auto Club Group, all rights reserved. That's not too bad. I feel like I did okay with that. Hey, very quick, Jeff, we can keep this short because by now we've talked about this nine million times. Eli Holstein committing to Alabama seems to pave the way, at least make it a little easier for George when it comes to Arch Manning. Is it as simple and straightforward as that in your mind? I think so. Um, I don't see either Holstein or Manning deciding, yeah, let's go play together at Alabama and let the best man win. Uh, I don't see Alabama trying to take two quarterbacks like that when they already have Jalen Milrow and they already have Ty Simpson waiting in the wings. Um, that's just not the sort of thing that is going to be equitable in the age of the quarterbacks and the portal. Um, you know, quite frankly, Brandon, it could be one of two things with Bama. One, they think Eli Holstein is just as good a player as Arch Manning, and maybe they can get him in the, get him on the boat right now, and they're going to roll with that. Or it might be uh, number two, which is they think that they're way, way off the fairway in the chase for Arch Manning, and they need to go ahead and make the play right now to get on the breeze. I think I think it's probably more the latter there than the former. Um, but Holstein is a very good player. And, you know, hey, this might be, you know, everybody talks about Kirby playing underwater chess. might be Nick playing underwater chess with Jimbo because at one time Eli Holstein was committed to Texas A&M. And then all of a sudden Alabama put its eyes on him. And all of a sudden they kept, they started turning that boat like two or three months ago. And the tea leaves, we were already talking about it on your program that has like, hey, watch out for that because I think that's going to happen. And Alabama's kind of decided to redirect to this guy for this class and, you know, we've seen it before, Brandon. You don't see two top 100 quarterbacks go to the same school. It just doesn't happen. So Texas, Georgia, which is kind of what we've been hearing for some time now, those those appear to be, the, I guess, the two biggest contenders here now in the arch chase. You mentioned Fighter Town USA a little earlier. Do you think you'll see Top Gun this weekend, the, the uh, debuting sequel to the original? Brandon, I've got people telling me, how many times are you going to see it this weekend? Like They're not it. saying once. And, you know, we got a whole row of folks. We're going to go see it. We're going to, uh, you know, go back to that movie experience oh, yeah. where it's way, way it's meant to be. And Big old bucket of popcorn, about a thousand calories worth of soda. I mean, to me, like, you're not really at the movies unless you need an insulin shot when it's all said and done. 
<laughs> yep, that's true. And you know, one thing about Tom Cruise, everybody's got their opinions about what he's like, what type of guy he's like. Guy's a world class actor. He usually doesn't miss. That's like yeah. Trey Scott with defensive linemen these days. Um, I expect it to be a cinematic movie, crazy experience. And I've I got people telling me it's so good that your wife is not going to be the one saying you want to go see it again. Not the husband. The wife is going to be the one saying you guys got to. We need to go see this again this weekend. That's how good. Top Gun Maverick is supposed to be. All discretions advised. Bottom of the Auto Club 2022, whatever. That's my legal. Dis- <laughs> That's my legal disclaimer voice for Top Gun. I'm not receiving any compensation from Maverick or Goose or Voodoo Three or anything like that. I just want to buzz the tower tonight. Uh, good stuff, Jeff. Uh, enjoy, and we will talk to you soon. Take it easy, buddy. Happy Memorial Day, everybody. You too. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. I was telling our Dog Nation uh, cohort earlier this morning, we have a little call to sort of prepare for the day. I'm just kind of happy to have movies back. Like, I, like, I just feel like, I don't know, like summer blockbuster is such an important thing to me. And it's not a movie show, I understand that. But I, I don't know, like, I, I sort of grew up with, like, the big movies in the theater. And the last couple of years, you know, like a lot of things in life have been just way worse the last couple of years. But, you know, the absence of, of movies and for a while people kind of wondered, will there even be movies anymore? Would everything just be released straight to streaming, things like that? And I don't know. I mean, it's obviously very expensive to go to the movies and, you know, you got people chomping on food behind you and that's kind of irritating. They're kicking your seat. But something about like just being back in a big, you know, Metroplex movie theater again watching a movie like this that has like some practical effects and something kind of real i don't know just something like that just sort of feels uh i don't know it just feels kind of good so if you get a chance to go see top gun this weekend i hope you enjoy that's not an endorsement as jeff said frankly you can do whatever you want to you can go see whatever movie you want but something about having kind of a cool like summer blockbuster sequel like this back in the theaters just sort of feels right for the summer to me uh, also obi-wan kenobi debuting tonight streaming there as well so uh big time for uh, those of us who grew up in the 80s when it comes to some of that kind of stuff but for now the thing that you're thinking about is cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean boy what a great time it is to be on the seas with our friends at royal caribbean in fact like yesterday it's kind of gloomy weather i mean just you know raining and stuff like that i was thinking Man, it'd be great to be in the Caribbean right now. It'd be great to be sailing through the Bahamas, heading down towards St. Thomas, somewhere like that. That's all of the great ports of call that Royal Caribbean cruise ships visit. I was on um, uh, uh, Harmony of the Seas back in February. Went to Falmouth, Jamaica, which was actually a really cool place. And I uh, went to Labadee, a private destination they have uh, right there in Haiti. That was really fun. But you've also heard me talk about Perfect Day Coco Cay. That's a great time for you there as well. Or... Uh, sometimes it's just kind of fun just to be on the ship. Like, I remember when we were on Independence of the Seas uh, back in April in Nassau. We had a little bit of business to take care of there in town. And so after we did that, came back, and um, I just stayed on the ship because, I mean, why wouldn't you not want to enjoy the specialty restaurants, whether it be Johnny Rockets, get a burger, or Playmaker Sports Bar and Grill and enjoy some traditional sports bar-type food or – you want you know something like Azumi, which is a hibachi restaurant. You want Chops Grill, the, the signature steakhouse that's really uh, such a big part of all the Royal Caribbean cruise ships now. Uh, it's just really fun to take advantage of all the stuff that's on board. The uh, you know the ice skating, or you want to talk about the sports court where you get a chance to do enjoy some of that kind of stuff. There's miniature golf. There, there's just you know so many different funs. The Flower Rider, which is kind of a surf simulator, some just a great opportunities to enjoy a lot of great things. And our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority can help get you booked up on all that. Check them out online, tcava.com. That's tcava.com. Or also give them a call, 770-952-8300. 770-952-8300. My wife and I yesterday, this is a true story, we were talking about booking our next Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. So we encourage you to do the same thing. Let's talk about some game times here for a moment. We have more details about Georgia's early season games. So we knew... Week one against Oregon, that was going to be 3.30. That came out a while ago. We found out that Georgia-Florida on CBS was going to be 3.30. That's pretty much what it has been each and every year for a good number of years. Now we know more game times there as well. And we got noon back in our life again, including on the road in Columbia, South Carolina at noon uh, for that week three game. I mean, how hot is it going to be in Columbia for that? The last time uh georgia play or i should say not the last time but in uh 2018 when georgia was there i mean it was so hot that i mean people essentially stayed home that day it was so hot like it was just brutally hot columbia for whatever reason 
always comes across one of the hottest places in the world. I think it's that that State Fair parking lot. There's not there's not a tree to be found for 50 miles. There's not no shade anywhere. Uh, it just creates a very hot environment. Uh, I can only imagine how hot it'll be that day. And I guess while you complain about the noon games, this will be hard for me because I'll do high school football the night before and then wake up 4 a.m. to get to Columbia the next morning. Uh, but if you're on the road, is a noon game a little bit better because maybe it takes the Gamecock crowd out of it a little bit? I don't think Georgia's got much to worry about with South Carolina this year anyway. But I guess I did sort of think about that of do you do you complain more about a home game noon game than you complain about a road game noon game? Maybe you do, but there's also a home game noon uh, game in here for Georgia as well. The Golden Flashes of Kent State come in here uh, for week four, and uh, Georgia's also going to play them there at noon as well. And I don't know, it seemed like Georgia played a million noon games last year, and of the first four games that we are five games that we have TV schedules for for Georgia this upcoming season, we already have two noon games on the docket there for that there as well. So I guess do with that what you will. Let me give you a couple of these other early season kickoff times that we have right now. I think Cincinnati and Arkansas on saturday september 3rd is a lot of fun obviously cincinnati's lost a lot including its head coach uh but 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 still uh you know pretty interesting uh when you think about some of that kind of stuff uh moving ahead to a 330 there on that um by the way not did not lose luke fickle i'm sorry i i, I misspoke there on that i was thinking about marcus freeman leaving but he already left uh, a year ago the point is cincinnati and arkansas play at 330 on that particular saturday i'm all, i also think that utah florida is a really interesting game. It's a 7 p.m. start on that September 3rd. We now know that. You kind of think of it as the Urban Meyer Bowl, but this is because that's where Meyer used to coach at both schools. But this is also a, a Utah team that really thinks of itself as, you know, preseason top 10, one of the odds on favorites in the Pac 12. And yet, gamblers, odds makers are really giving Florida a shot here in the home game. We've seen everything from something close to a pick 'em to a slight Florida lean here on this. So uh, Gators and the first big game for uh, Billy Napier, they're given a little bit of a chance there on that. Then it's Florida State who hopes to be better in New Orleans against LSU on that Sunday. You always like that uh, Labor Day weekend with the games on Sunday and Monday. Florida State, LSU, certainly not a bad one when it comes to that. And then you get into some of the stuff for September the 10th, a whole bunch of uh, fun games. Tennessee goes back to Pitt this year after losing at home to the Panthers a season ago. That'll obviously be interesting. New quarterback in place for a pit there south carolina and arkansas we told you about this that's the week before the 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 georgia south carolina game uh, arkansas will be favored with good reason against south carolina but with spencer rattler in that spot that's a chance for the gamecocks to pull the upset if they do despite the fact it's noon again for south carolina the following week it, it really sets up to be a huge atmosphere in williams bryce stadium if south carolina is riding high on the heels of an upset of arkansas at least worth paying attention to uh there for that also, how about Kentucky, Florida early in the season? Uh, that's at Florida on that sort of second Saturday there. It's a 7 p.m. start. That's another game where odds makers have kind of favored Florida at home with Kentucky looking at some preseason top 25 chatter and trying to build off what was another good season for Mark Stoops a year ago. That's another kind of put-up-or-shut-up game for really both those teams there uh, after the Wildcats, after going long stretch, decades without beating Florida, have found some success here in uh, recent years. And then you get to uh, September 17th, one of the big non-conference games in the SEC here this year. Miami's at Texas A&M. That's a 9 p.m. start, kind of the NIL Bowl in a lot of ways. And for Texas A&M that plays the rugged SEC West schedule, finding a way to get one a non-conference win like that is just so important, and we'll see if they're uh, able to do that. So interesting stuff kind of coming out there. You always feel like you're getting close to the start of the season when you start hearing some of those game time announcements and we're kind of getting to that right there i was going to do something on the 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 playoff and the the rest of the landscape around college football let me just save that for uh right now i want to uh save that because we've kind of gone a little late here in the show we'll do some more with some of the preseason top 25 stuff coming up in the days to come including a pre-recorded show for monday uh in observance of the memorial day holiday so we'll do that then i'll save that and for now we'll just make that cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean so a little explanation for our Golden Shoe today, SEC baseball tournament ongoing in Hoover, Alabama, and a fan was uh, interviewed on TV. He's an Auburn fan. I'll, I'll sh- I don't have the video to show you, but I'll show you the, I took, I took a still shot of the, uh, of the interview. So he's an Auburn fan sitting next to some Alabama folks, uh, and he's dressed up in full-on Tennessee gear here because he just says, I just hate Alabama. 
So, listen, we all understand the notion of hating Alabama, and it sounds like, according to at least one Tennessee fan online, they're welcome. They're gladly welcoming him into their fan base. To me, though, this may be taking things a step too far. Like, it's one thing to hate Alabama. It's another thing to, like, wear the gear. First of all, that ugly Tennessee orange in and of its own right. Uh, kind of an abomination there. So, I don't know that I can condone this. There is that one guy at SEC Media Days every year that dresses up as the team that beat Alabama. I think that's kind of funny. But this feels like stolen valor to me a little bit. I don't know. Anyway, lousy stinking Gators. You'll never see me in orange and blue. 4,887 days. That's how long it's been since they have won a national championship. And our Gator Hater countdown. How about 155 days from right now? Dogs back in Jacksonville beaten up on those lousy stinking gators fun to think about that 3 30 p.m is the game time we'll all be there and we'll see you monday for a holiday edition of dog nation daily presented by kroger talk to you then everybody and on the podcast time now for the rs andrews podcast cool down we'll take some of your comments here at dognation.com and on twitter as always at dog nation daily i want to look at some of the comments that came in to some of the athletic board meeting stuff specifically related to the uh, improvements at sanford saying they're going to take place UGA Dad 20 writes in to say a lot of money being poured in the college sports arms race. How much of this will be affected by a booster contributing NIL collectives versus school donations? And we talked about that during the regular show today that, you know, some of the same people are going to be asked to, to give pretty aggressively on both sides of that. And listen, that's just not something that everybody can do. And, you know, I don't know how, you know, the concept of like donor fatigue is going to be addressed, but eventually people are going to be not only tired of giving they're going to be tired of being asked to give some of you are involved in politics things like that and you know this you get emails every five minutes from your particular party of choice because i think they both can do this of hey you know do you see what so and so did that's when we need to raise money we need money from you we need money from you it's like anybody who ever gives any money in politics knows that you never stopped being asked for money ever after that and you know, you kind of wonder if there's going to be kind of a version of this for college sports too, where it's like every time you turn around, you've got somebody saying, "Hey, if you want us to keep up with the, you know, the Joneses, whoever that might be, uh, we need you to give to this collective or that campaign or this, that, and the other." It is a lot being asked of folks here right now. The other thing that uh, UGA Dad says is, "I wonder what Mark Rick thinks about Georgia pouring so much money into the program since he left." And I was thinking about that today, related to Todd Munkin getting paid two million dollars back. After the 2014 season, you had you know you know Mike Bobo making basically half a million dollars, and obviously that's a long time. Things have changed since then, but there were plenty of coordinators back then making a million. Uh, Bobo was making about half that. I mean, it does speak to a level of financial commitment to the program that exists now that did not exist back then. Now Kirby's earned that by winning, but some of that also was, I think, a little bit of a prerequisite for Kirby taking this job. Is he just wanted that more full fledged commitment there, and he's certainly gotten that. Um, Beach Dog says uh, these expenditures are, are providing a secure present and future for those who can handle the workload. Yeah, I mean, at Georgia, things are going well. Coaches are succeeding, and you want to motivate and incentivize successful coaches remaining in place because obviously someone would be coming for them if you didn't. And that's always the thing to keep in mind of, you know, clearly coaching salaries have skyrocketed, uh, and that creates all kinds of you know potential issues but never should lose sight of why exactly that it is that has happened it has happened because of the fact that successful proven commodities in the coaching industry are always going to be in high demand silver britches writes in to say we need a massive uh, lit up g logo atop sanford stadium needs to be double-sided so it's presented correctly when viewed from the front or the back you know how the batman logo is shot up in the sky why can't we do something like that with our iconic g logo that's actually an interesting idea uh you know recruits would enjoy seeing that that's actually a really good idea if georgia had kind of like a bat signal for the g uh <laughs> that's a really good idea it's almost like like my mind kind of conjures up the notion of like what if the bat signal actually shined like a recruits you know logo all these guys have their own logo now it's like you know uh the whole notion of this is how bad we need you in recruiting you know <laughs> shine that signal into the sky i like that that's a good idea uh silver britches that's a really good idea i think that's fun 
Double Dog says, hey, well, what about no improvements for the north side of the stadium? I know visitors are over there, but the section 103 through 112 is Georgia folks. I can assure you that 100-level concourse on the north side is in need of widening and improvement, not to mention the bathrooms. Glad UGA is a program that has the means to do any of this. There are few and fewer of those. Go dogs. So I think the issue on the north side compared to the south side is, while that one concourse like right behind the seats is really small, especially kind of near the student section over there heading towards the 50-yard line, they do have that extra ticketing area outside of that now. So ultimately, that's probably a lot of what this is going to be on the south side there too is just increasing the ticketing area, kind of widening that beyond there. If you ever go to like Fenway Park, they've kind of done a version of this too where you know a portion of what used to be just kind of the street is now a ticketing area for you know Fenway Park because the stadium itself is just so small you just need more space bigger bigger stuff than that and so that's kind of the that's been kind of the solution for that there in boston um and i think in sanford stadium that's kind of what that north side kind of is there too it's like you know an area that at one point in time would have been part of campus on game days is now kind of a ticketed area you've got more room to walk around you've got some concession areas right there and i think that's been the attempt to kind of alleviate that there even though as you said the the concourse right behind the seats is obviously still very small over there. If I had to guess, and I haven't seen the blueprints on this, but if I had to guess, that's probably a version of what the south side ends up looking like too, just kind of digging into that area behind that because there's only so much you can do, um, you know, with like <laughs> the, the structure of the stadium as it is, being as old as it is. So good comments. We appreciate you being here for the R.S. Andrews Cooldown. Y'all check out R.S. RS Andrews online, rsandrews.com air conditioning heating plumbing electric needs we all have a normal podcast for you on monday it'll probably drop though before monday uh could anyway so be on the lookout for that and thanks for being here as always we will talk to you then dog nation daily presented by kroger have a great day everybody